Find the life you didn't think was possible with the Jesus you never knew. Together, let's slow down a little and pay better attention to the most significant person in history. Welcome to the podcast, Paying Ridiculous Attention to Jesus, with your hosts, Rick Lawrence and Becky Hodges, brought to you by Lifetree. Visit us at JesusCenteredLife.com. Hi, listeners. This is episode 13, brought to you by Lifetree at JesusCenteredLife.com. And our topic for today's episode is what is really at the core of humility? Not exactly our favorite subject to talk about, our, our own humility, but today, this is a special day because we are going to talk about the core of humility by playing you some excerpts from an interview I did just last week with none other than Eugene Peterson. And it was the kind of interview that uh, I will never forget for a lot of reasons. So uh, we're going to talk about humility with Eugene Peterson today. And I'm here with Becky, my good friend Becky, the Becky Nader. Hello. Becky uh, was wearing what I, uh, you know, mistakenly called a beanie today. She quickly corrected me that it was, in fact, a beret. And she's taken her beret off. I think, I think you could probably feel it in her voice if she had her beret on, though. There's something it, that a beret does to you when you're wearing one. They're my grandmother's. My grandmother wore a beret every day. She was very eccentric, and she, I, I, had, I have all of her berets. There's like 25 different colors. Wouldn't you like to be the sort of person <laughs> who can pull off wearing a beret every she day? She totally pulled it off. Because our, our friend Steph Hilberry sometimes wears a fedora yeah. in, and I look at her and I think, that is so cool, and I would be such a dork if I wore a fedora to work. You just you have to sell out if you're going to wear an eccentric hat. I think that actually that it's that we actually like being dorks. We think it's fun. No, no, I think you're wrong about this. <laughs> I think if you're all in with the hat, then everybody accepts the hat. But I would be constantly worried that, man, I wore a fedora to work. I just like, couldn't do it. You're you're you just don't have the like strength be, and self esteem. I don't. Well, <laughs> let, let's not really go there, <laughs> Becky. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just, I was just taking us all the way where I thought yeah, we way, were going. Way to go. <laughs> way to drill. So, uh, again, we're going to play some clips from my interview with Eugene Peterson. He's um, very well known around the world, primarily because he did the extraordinary. He wrote a paraphrased version of the Bible called The Message, which became an enormous international bestseller and still is today. Uh, and the message is, was really a transformative experience for a lot of people. It's not like a normal paraphrase. It was a lyrical, poetic, even playful interpretation of Scripture, where Eugene Peterson, because he's such a mammoth intellect, took in the original language of, of Scripture and retranslated them into more poetic language. So I, I would call it a translation. I know it's not considered that, but it was translated by an artist, and that's what made it so incredibly popular. And of course, he's written you know, um, you know, dozens of other books throughout his life as a pastor. He was a pastor for his entire adult life in mostly a small church, small-ish church. You might call it a medium or small church. And he's now, um, I guess what you might call retired, although I don't know if pastors ever really retire— but he lives uh, on their, uh, you know, generational property on the on the uh, shore of a lake in Montana. It's kind of a cabinish 
sort of residence, and that's where he and his wife live now, and he has narrowed his life down to not doing a lot of things. He doesn't travel to speak, and um, actually getting the interview with him was uh, uh, just a tremendous um, opportunity for me to have had him say yes to this. So that's who we're going to talk about today. And um, Becky, you you uh, you scrounged and found some some of your favorite quotes yeah. of Eugene Peterson. Let's hear some of those. So first of all, I, a couple things. One, if you're not familiar with Eugene Peterson, we're going to have a link um, to all of his um, work that he's done. He has a Goodreads page where it lists all of the books that he's written and um, including the message. So you can just go to the podcast section and, and click on the description or go to jesuscenteredlife.com and you can find that. <clears throat> so yeah, so here's some quotes. These are some of his you know, most well-known quotes from different works, but one of them is, all the persons of faith I know are sinners, doubters, and even performers. We are not, we are, we are secure not because we are sure of ourselves, but because we trust that God is sure of us. Um, and that was from The Living Message by Eugene Peterson. He wrote a book, uh, oh wow, what a great book, called The Way of Jesus. Here's something from that. To follow Jesus implies that we enter into a way of life that is given character and shape and direction by the one who calls us. To follow Jesus means picking up rhythms and ways of doing things that are often unsaid, but always derivative from Jesus, formed by the influence of Jesus. To follow Jesus means that we can't separate what Jesus is saying from what Jesus is doing and the way that he is doing it. To follow Jesus is as much or maybe even more about feet as it is about ears and eyes. I love that quote. Yeah, and you can hear in this quote, I mean, that this is a main line uh, right at the core of even what this podcast is about. If you're a regular listener, that what he just said is what we're all about on paying ridiculous attention to Jesus. So he's a kindred spirit. This last one is actually from The Pastor, um, a memoir by Eugene Peterson. And I love what he has to say. And, and when he says pastor... He means in the sense of, of pastoring um, people. In, in this quote, he says, the vocation of pastor has been replaced by the strategies of religious entrepreneurs with business plans. Which is a, you can see that he's not a grandfatherly type of guy. <laughs> he has an edge to a him. A little Jesus-esque. Yeah, he has an edge to him about some of his opinions. And as we listen to, we've got three segments of my interview that we're going to play today, and then Becky and I are going to talk about them. Um, and you'll see in these segments that there, there's an edge to Eugene Peterson. He has, he's 85 years old. He is what I would call an unfiltered person, not because he's trying to be outrageous or anything. He's just being himself. So when I ask him questions, he answered in a very refreshingly blunt way. And he has blunt opinions about things. Not all of them will you agree with, my, is my guess. But that's what makes for a great interview with an iconic person, I think, is you have to really chew on and wrestle with the tension that's produced by uh, listening to how they think and how they see the world. And there's probably going to be some of that for you. But I, we wanted to start off with uh, a, a chunk of the interview that happened near the start. And I, um, I'm going to mention a quote from a book uh, Peterson wrote called Working the Angles, which is really kind of a practical book for people who are involved in pastoring others. And it's, it's two things. It's a, it's a diagnosis of what's gone wrong with pastoring today in America, 
and it's a map or a, a vision for what it could be, um, born out of his own practice. So I'm going to, uh, my favorite quote, my favorite Eugene Peterson quote is one I'm about to say to, to him in this interview. So let's listen to this, and then Becky and I will talk about it. Well, you wrote in a, a book that I love called Working the Angles, um, you wrote this that just grabbed me and I can't stop thinking about it ever since I read it. You wrote, the pastor's primary responsibility is to help people maintain their attentiveness to Jesus. I think that's just so countercultural in today's pastoral strata that their primary responsibility would be to help people maintain their attentiveness to Jesus. So I, I'd love for you to describe what you mean by attentive, attentiveness to Jesus and in what ways have you learned to maintain your own attentiveness to Jesus? Well, I think I've done it. Maybe the first step is I, all this consumer world is just anathema to me. And uh, in my congregation, I, I've done this primarily in my congregation. I've been a pastor. And I don't think you can do it in mass things. Uh, one of the most detrimental things in the Christian church is megachurch. And it just sweeps you off your feet and, uh, and leaves them with nothing. Hmm. So I think, from my, from my point of view, I, I've always insisted on being part of a small church. I don't think you can do this big. So you're saying that it's, it's difficult in a large church setting to help people maintain attentiveness to Jesus. Very impossible. And why is that? What you said you people get swept up. What are they swept up by? The pastor's ego. Hmm. And which finds expression in what way? Trying to get people on to attend your church to sing your song. Uh, and to listen to them. I mean the ego and It's, it's so ironic uh, that the Eugene Peterson, who wrote the message um, and has worldwide celebrity within the church because of it, um, you mu uh, are you saying that in the midst of the attention that you've received, not just from the message, but from the many other uh, books that you've written, that uh, this this specter of ego has either not been a temptation for you or you have been so aware of it you've resisted it. You know, it's anecdotal, but uh, I and many other people know now that Bono showed up at your Montana home, and that's pr a pretty good indicator that you're pretty well known when Bono shows up to spend some time with you. So, and I, I understand that you may not have been fully aware of the massiveness of his celebrity at the time, 
but you probably are now. And so uh, what, you're, what I hear you saying is that these things, you may be aware of them, but they don't find any traction in you. I don't. I don't. Why do you think that is? Okay, I warned you. <laughs> and one thing, uh, just as a kind of a quasi-apology here, uh, the only way to talk to Eugene was to talk to him at his cabin on a lake in Montana on his landline. And so the recording, uh, we've done the best we can with it to kind of restore it, but it, it is hard to hear him sometimes, and so uh, I apologize for that. But um, he is, he's obviously, uh, he's, he's in his mid-80s, he's, his voice is kind of frail, now and very soft-spoken, so it can be a little bit hard to hear sometimes. But uh, Becky, let's talk about what he's saying here. He he's uh, ferocious about I would say ferocious about the context of a of a larger church and whether uh, people can a pastor can help people stay attentive to Jesus when a church is that large, and that immediately produces tension. Anytime anyone says anything that's sort of a, a all or nothing sort of statement. I know that you and I have our antenna go up when in, when anytime somebody says something that's sort of... Um, it's absolute. It was yeah, an absolute statement. That's like, the word I'm looking for. Yeah, there's there's no... It's like absolute, absolutely no people, 100% of them are, are finding Jesus at a mega church anywhere. So, <laughs> it's like, okay, that's a little <laughs> bit extreme. So let's set that aside, that he's speaking hyperbolically, and yeah. obviously, I mean... Uh, Throughout Scripture, p- the people of God do speak hyperbolically to make a point. When when Paul said, "I've determined to know nothing but Jesus Christ and Him crucified," we understand that he's speaking in a very hyperbolic way to make his point that he does know other things than Jesus. <laughs> but we're but he's trying to make a point. So what's what do you think the point is that Eugene is trying to make here? The heart behind what he is trying to say here is that when we are involved in 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 smaller groups where we have the opportunity for people to get to know us extremely deeply, um, we have the opportunity, and we talk about this a lot, we have the opportunity for people to help bring things into the light that need to come into the light so that we can be free to totally um, uh, live our life with Jesus. Um, the problem is that that's a little bit riskier because there's if you're in a smaller environment and you have things um, in your life that you're afraid of other people knowing. There's the opportunity for them to shame you, to judge you, for you to feel bad about it. So I think it's it's easier. It's easier when there's a huge group and you can kind of blend in. That feels safer. Yeah, and we've talked previously on one of our past podcasts, I think it was around the election time, we've talked about how the news system in the United States, the, the, uh, the, uh, the news organizations in the United States have slowly gravitated toward an approach that is more entertainment-focused. And the question is, when does it not become news anymore, and how does the pressure to make the news entertaining change the nature of the news? Uh, if the medium is the message, and the medium you've chosen is entertainment, how does that you know, warp New, what news is, and you could say something similar, I think, here about what what he's saying. How does the medium of a large church affect the message? How does the medium of a consumer culture affect the gospel message? How does the medium of church 
moving towards an entertainment mindset either strengthen or weaken the central uh, core of the gospel. And, and from his point of view, he's saying that context is gutting the core of the gospel, and it's because your attention is diverted away from the person of Jesus to a sort of consumer focus that says, am I being entertained right now by this? And if you can answer, yes, I'm being entertained by this right now, then you can check the box for why you came to church. And he's saying, I totally don't buy into that, and that's not what a pastor does. A pastor frames Jesus in such a way that people feel more drawn to him and want to be in deeper relationship with him. Well, and I, I, I googled the word pastor, and according to Wikipedia, pastor is just a job description, right? So, And I think that's how we think of it today, is we think of the word pastor, and we think, oh, that's a job, right? So they have responsibilities, they oversee peoples and buildings and budgets, and they should have a, you know, like he was talking about um, in, in one of the quotes, we, we said they should have like kind of a, a five-year and a 10-year plan and be strategic. But really the idea of a pastor was always to be a spiritual overseer. The role of the pastor was actually to help the people that he was assigned to oversee to connect with Jesus more deeply. And that, it, that is through the context of a relationship. Yeah. And so he's, he's, a, he's a lifelong pastor, and therefore, from the inside out, he's a critic. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and many of his writings have been critical of the way that pastoring has uh, subtly shifted in the United States. And here, you know, in his mid-'80s, he has no uh, brake pedal on that, on that uh, sense. But I, f- I found it fascinating at the end when I asked him, you know, uh, how is it possible that somebody as well-known as he is and, is, and as uh, so much admired as he is, um, you know, the reason Bono came to see him was, I think, Fuller uh, helped to arrange this so that they could create a short little documentary about the Psalms, a conversation between the two of them about the Psalms, which we'll put a link to that mm-hmm. on our uh, site if you want to go watch that, because it's fascinating to watch. But here Bono comes, and with a story that uh, Eugene told me that I don't think we're going to play the audio clip from today, but the story that he told me that when Bono came to visit him was that at one point Bono said to him, you know, I've read every single thing you've ever written, Eugene. It's y- Meeting you is one of the great honors of my life, but I have a feeling you don't listen to my music. And Eugene said he just stared at him and smiled. <laughs> he did end up going to a U2 concert, and he called the mosh pit a mash pit. Um, it's really a yeah, good part of the yeah. <laughs> to hear Eugene Peterson say mash pit. <laughs> <laughs> but the point there is that here he has Bono in his house, and how many people does Bono go to visit because he, he, he sort of is meeting his hero, and... Uh, and Eugene says, I'm completely unaware of the dynamic here that's going on, and, and, you, and you think skeptically, is that really true? Can you have that kind of notoriety? But you listen to his voice, and you listen to where he's coming from, and I think that the closer you get to Jesus and the more impressed you are with who Jesus is and the more drawn you are to his beauty, that this isn't a ridiculous statement in the end. It's not that you don't think well of yourself, like false humility does, it's that you think less of your you, you don't think of yourself as often. You're, you yourself is not as interesting to you anymore 
as Jesus is interesting to you. And I think that's part of what he's saying, is he's gotten older and older. Aspects about who he is are less interesting to him than the unfolding beauty of Jesus as he gets older. That is what's interesting to him. And so he says stuff like this that sounds radically humble. I think it's just simply the fruit of a man who spent his life getting closer and closer to Jesus. He's not negating himself, he's just saying, I'm not as interesting to me as Jesus is. <laughs> so anyway, let's, uh, let's take a listen to a second segment now, um, and then we'll uh, talk about that for a minute. So as you've gotten older, what do you think has become more clear to you about a life of following Jesus, and what has, if anything, has become less clear for you? Huh. And, uh, and I think my wife and I keep a Sabbath. We've done this for 50 years. Nobody keeps a Sabbath except us. <laughs> <laughs> and what does keeping the Sabbath mean to you? It means not having an agenda, being quiet, hmm. taking long walks, and being quiet. You know, in your uh, paraphrase the, uh, of the Bible and the message, uh, uh, one of the things I've wondered is ingesting all of the Bible in the way that you did, and then artistically rendering it out on the other side, I would imagine forced such a deep uh, understanding of what it was you were reading to be able to filter it and give new expression to it. I'm wondering what the primary outcome in your life has been through that project. In what ways did that impact your life to have ingested the Bible in that way? You see, I have to say I don't know. Hmm. You know, if, if I had to use one word to describe the tone of what came out in the message, in, that, in, that trans, in, in your translation of it, I would use the word playful. And I'm, I'm wondering why that is. Uh, you used language that's both accurate and relevant, but very often playful. Do you know why? I don't know why. <laughs> it wasn't deliberate. So, 
And through that experience, do you uh, have a sense of how um, that project, that work of art, impacted your view of Jesus? Did it have any impact on your view of Jesus? Okay, so Becky, tell me what, for you in that segment, jumped out at you the most. Nobody keeps the Sabbath. It's so true. <laughs> and I, so I've talked about, this is something I've actually been talking with my good friend Steph about for about the last six months. This has actually been something that we've talked about particularly is about this idea of rest um, and how much um, the Bible talks about rest in spe- specifically. And the idea of the Sabbath was rest, you know, and if you ever read Laura Ingle Wilder, like I did as a girl, they would sit on Sundays in their rocking chairs and do nothing like all day long. And, and that idea, that idea today, um, in fact, I, I'm going to quote my friend that I talked to about this today. She said, that's crazy. I would go crazy. I, there's no way I could just do that, just be quiet and rest all day. Um, another one of my friends said, I feel guilty. I feel completely guilty about resting. Mm. I have so much to do, and if I rest, that means that I'm dropping the ball. Mm. Um, and the other thing is that in a world full of stress, full of stress, there's so much stress and anxiety. In fact, we just um, heard today about a student who ended their life Um, and there's so much stress, but the antidote is a call to rest this sort of like peaceful idea. Um, so that was what really jumped out. Yeah. I'm thinking as you're talking that, uh, leading up to Thanksgiving, uh, I had just come out of a a succession of major projects and the last one was just so hard to get done. I was desperately trying to get it done before Thanksgiving because I wanted to take a, a week off and I had planned since January to go to uh, this Trappist monastery near Snowmass in Colorado that I go to once a year for a personal retreat. Trappist monks uh, do what they call keep the silence, and they own a monastery in this beautiful mountain valley, and they own the whole valley. So this valley is the most quiet place I've ever been in my life, um, and they have, they have some hermitages there that you can basically rent and stay for at least two nights and sometimes more, and I go there every year at least once. And I, I was just trying to urge my way to Thanksgiving, because I left on Black Friday to go there, 
and I thought if I could just make it to Friday. And I know that friends and uh, people in the neighborhood, you know, when I say I'm going to a Trappist monastery and I'm not going to say a word and, and for three days, and I'm just going to be quiet and be with Jesus in a total quiet atmosphere. In fact, it's so quiet it's eerie. Uh, like when you go out at night in this valley, it's it's a little bit scary because Weirdo. it's so it's so yeah, and that's what they're thinking. <laughs> Weird. Like, but they but they but they smile and they nod uh-huh, their head. That sounds yeah. nice. And they act as if they understand what I'm saying, and I'm thinking, no, you really no. don't. But uh, and I and I would go uh, typically in my in, part of my regimen is once a month I would go spend a day away with the Lord, and I'd go down to a retreat center. And it would just be quiet for the whole day, just like uh, my time at the monastery. And sometimes other men would go down in the car with me, and they had never done this before. And I thought, oh my gosh, you're about to hit the wall. Because if you've never done this before, spending a whole day in quiet can be very intimidating. Remember one guy, we got to the parking lot of the place, and he said, so am I going to meet with somebody who's going to kind of guide and direct me through this the whole day? I said, no, I hope you brought a book. Um, <laughs> because, and you can't even, you have to even bring your lunch to this place. And the guy had no lunch. He just was very ill-prepared for this experience, and it was very hard for him. And it's because of what you're saying, that this is not a pattern that normal people anymore uh, adhere to. And for me, I can't do without it. I can feel in myself that uh, almost like my soul is about to get sick because I haven't spent any just alone, quiet Sabbath time with Jesus. I told my wife, uh, it came at a time when, you know, it's busy, the day after Thanksgiving, I knew it was a sacrifice for our whole family that I was going to be leaving for a few days, and I, she understood. But I said, you know, Bev, I have to do this to recalibrate myself, because if my relationship with Jesus isn't in a right place, no relationship in my life is in a right place. So, Eugene Peterson can seem like an anomaly, and my story of going to a monastery can seem strange and weird, but I want to encourage you, we want to encourage you, what Eugene Peterson here is talking about is absolutely crucial for our life with Jesus. You cannot live an intimate relationship with Jesus with all of your gaps filled in your life. One of the chapters in the Jesus-centered life is called um, The Thicker Life, Living the Thicker Life, and it comes from a, a book I read a while back. I'm trying. Dave Getz wrote it, um, called uh, "The Thicker Life," and it's it's a great book about how to live your life, not filling every margin and gap in your life. And it it really was a profound understanding for me because it embraced and helped me to have a foundation underneath the kind of life I wanted to live, which is full of gaps and and quiet and where you're, you're not opening your mouth. So. My friend Steph, who who's been on the show before, um, she was so in, it, she was so in awe of this idea of what if every single week I took a Sabbath, I did not do anything for a whole day, and so she created. She knew what the biggest barrier was going to be. We work full time, you know, we work full time, and our husbands work full time, and so we have chores on the weekend. We have lots of stuff we have to do, laundry and stuff, to be successful during the week. Um, and so she made some worksheets that you can actually plan out all your chores so that you get them done during the week so that you can enjoy a Sabbath. So if this idea is tantalizing to you, we are going to include these worksheets on the podcast. And right now you're listening to this in the busiest time of the year, and it can sound even more crazy. To, but let me just encourage you, don't create another discipline in your life. 
find ways in the midst of your life to be quiet. Um, walk instead of drive somewhere mm-hmm. is, a, is a way. Or take a walk in the cold at night. Look at the stars. Feel the coldness if you live in a place that is cold right now. Um, feel the, smell the smells. Let yourself take in and stop processing things out through your head and then out through your mouth. Let yourself rest in little moments in the day. Maybe you're in a shopping mall and you're heading down the escalator surrounded by people. You can be quiet going down the escalator. Take a big deep breath in. Feel your surroundings. Invite Jesus into that moment. Don't make it another discipline. Just be conscious of your soul's need for margin. So let's listen to one last segment, and this will be. Uh, th- then we'll talk about this and uh, hear one more time from the great Eugene Peterson. Well, now that you've retired, and uh, so to speak, and have, uh, I get the sense from our previous conversation, you've tried to narrow the scope of the things that you'll continue to do. What message do you think is crucial for the church to hear today? What is it that they that if if you uh, if you had a prophet's megaphone, what message do you think the church needs to hear? Smartphones? Smartphone. Uh-huh. Now, I walk down the street, and every I can't walk 10 steps without having somebody with a smartphone and not paying attention to the person right next to them. And I think it's making people go, well, shallow for one thing. Hmm. So distraction. Distraction, yeah. You're not time to even smell the flowers. Good night. So you don't have a television set, uh, and normally what uh, a typical American would do at night is watch TV. Right. What are you, what are you doing instead? Is it typically a certain kind of reading, nonfiction reading, fiction reading? What kind of reading do you do typically? It's mostly fiction. Mostly fiction? Yeah. Novels. Huh. Do you have a favorite novelist? Yes. And uh, we're just we're enjoying this as much as we did the first time. Uh, but yeah, Jay McGraw is, you know, he's, he's got a good novelist for a writer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so just so you know, because it's a bit hard to hear there, the book that he's mentioning there is called Jaber Crow. It's by Wendell Berry, um, an iconic uh, writer who wrote from the perspective of living and working on a farm. 
in a rural area. And so he's a very lyrical writer. He's kind of like Annie Dillard, if any of you are Annie Dillard fans out there. Uh, but Wendell Berry is, is just a beautiful writer. And the book, again, is Jaber Crow, J-A-Y-B-E-R-C-O-R-W. Put a link to that also on our page. Uh, so uh, what sticks out here is uh, um, I, I say things like this sometimes. I do know that it's a, not a sharp phone. It's a smartphone. But I think some in my life might wonder if I really do, <laughs> because I have a, I have a slide phone, and I, before that I had a flip phone. And it's, not, and it's not because I don't understand how useful these technologies are. It's simply because I know that my gap times um, would be filled up because I'm a hyper-curious person. And I, I'm trying to put a wall up around my own bad habits. So I make it very difficult to text people. And I don't want something in my pocket that allows me to access the internet immediately. And I know it's eccentric. It's the same as wearing a fedora to work or a beret, as the case may be, uh, only more so. I've had so many people, good friends, say, you know, you're being ridiculous about this, Rick. And what I'm really doing is being conscious of my own frame and the nature of my soul and wh where the good things I have to give come from. And uh, I'm trying to protect that aspect of my heart and life by not being distracted all the time. The whole idea of this podcast, Paying Ridiculous Attention to Jesus, is the beauty that comes when you pay ridiculous attention not only to Jesus, but to his creation, to his embodiment in those around you. He, he says our friends, the friends that we are on this journey with, are literally his body, the people who make up who he is. How much do we pay attention to his body? And I know that I'm, I would be so easily distracted all the time, so I don't have a smartphone. And uh, I've somehow convinced my wife to not have one either. And my senior high daughter, who's a senior in high school, went without a smartphone up until their junior year by her own choice because she saw how smartphones, when they were introduced into her friendships in middle school, changed the nature of her relationships. And she felt so strongly about this that she said, I, I'm not getting one. And it wasn't until her junior year that she finally decided it was useful then for her to get one. So um, uh, my 13-year-old daughter, Emma, by the way, has wanted a smartphone since she came out of the womb. <laughs> so it's not like we're this some monastic family. Um, but we have made some choices to not be distracted as much as we're prone to be in this culture. So, I, And I know, uh, Becky, we've talked about this before, and you have a very healthy relationship with your technologies mm -hmm. for the most part. And so... Um, really, that's the issue here. It's not. I'm not saying a universal rule. I'm saying, do you have gaps in, in your life where you're undistracted so that you can pay attention to the things your heart cares most about? That's really the issue. I think um, one of the things when I, when I was listening to this, I was like, this is why the whole movement of minimalism is so attractive hmm. right now, because... When you don't have clutter and stuff to deal with um, and you make uh, conscious choices to not, in, not consume things that are going to distract you in your life, you, ha you just have room and space. And one of the things that I loved how is, is he talked about distractions um, and turning off your cell phones, and, but he did that in the context of pay attention to your relationships. And, and one of the things that we're going to be doing in 2017 is we're going to be talking 
about how paying ridiculous attention to Jesus is also paying ridiculous attention to other people. Mm -hmm. um, and then and that's going to be a major focus for things that we're doing next year. That's good. I also want to say that I really, really want to go live in Montana with Eugene and his <laughs> wife and read novels. I will make soup and knit. It would be so wonderful. You hear that, Eugene? She's laying it out there I, for you. So I think I've said this before, but my actual dream job is Pioneer Woman. I'm not going to probably get to do that on earth, but I think that in heaven, I'm going to be a pioneer woman. Pioneer woman with a beret. <laughs> I will be an eccentric pioneer woman. <laughs> you know, I just picture an arrow going through your beret. Pioneer woman. <laughs> I'm but, not going to be the hunter. I'm going to be the gatherer. <laughs> oh, good for you. Uh, you know, just to close this off here, I was just thinking as, as we were talking about this, that I, I know from uh, some research I did recently that the most, the, the least stressful place that people ever go to, guess what it is? The, the spa? Close, the shower. Oh. Guess why? Because there are few things, technologies, that you can bring in with you to the shower still. They're, I'm sure they're working on them. But the shower is a space where it kind of closes off a lot of distractions. And if you think about uh, when you've worked hard, really hard during the day, um, I know that on Saturdays it's a, it's a clean-the-house day for us. So... It's inside and out, and by the end of the day, I'm looking forward to an evening watching a movie. And but I cannot eat dinner with my family until I go take a shower. And it's not just because I stink; I need to be refreshed, almost like the work of the day washed off, and feel new. And that's really what we're talking about for our soul: to find gaps where you're undistracted, quiet, as he's talking about. Little Sabbaths helps to wash your soul so that you feel fresh and alive and ready and energetic to engage in your relationship with him and with others. So in the midst of all of the craziness that you're uh, in, the, and you probably are listening to this on the way to something crazy, or you're doing something crazy while you're listening to this, we just, Becky and I want to encourage you to play. I said Peterson wrote the message with a tone of playfulness, and I think that's what happens when you get close to Jesus. You get more playful, because you have... The burdens that you carry are overshadowed by the love that he gives you. That's, that's not just rhetoric, that's what happens. And your, your spirit becomes lighter, and as you get older, you become more like a child. And that's definitely how I experienced Eugene Peterson. So today, play a little with Jesus. Invite him into things that you normally wouldn't. Um, ask him about things that you normally wouldn't ask his, his advice about. And rest a little in your soul and let him love on you. So uh, there you have it. We, we're so grateful that you've listened today. We know this one went a bit long because of Eugene, but wow, I just wonder how many more opportunities will we have to hear from somebody like this? Just grateful we had the opportunity. Remember, you can find out more about what we've talked about today um, on the JesusCenteredLife.com. You can find our podcast section, and you're going to go to episode 13 for this one. This is Paying Ridiculous Attention to Jesus. It's a podcast from Lifetree. Subscribe to us on iTunes for the latest podcasts, and Becky and I will talk to you next time. Bye.